I'll be reading from Matthew 17, 14 to 20, first. <clears throat> Matthew 17, 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or in the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and he came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And the second reading is from Romans 4, 13 to 25. <clears throat> it was not through the law that Abraham and his offering, offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath. <clears throat> and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore... The promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives lives to the life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, the words I was, it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Uh, welcome if you're a visitor with us here today. It's great to have you. My name is Pete. I'm the pastor here at Inner West Church. Uh, I'm a bit worried about this sermon today. Um, and it's not a good, that's not a good start, is it? Uh, but you, you understand why. Uh, the reason is that it's got the word faith in it a lot. And from a very early age, I have struggled with my th and fits. So if I sound like I've got a horrible lisp as we go through and I constantly say words that start with the letter F, then that's why. Um, so just bear with me. It'll be okay, I'm sure. 
Uh, so we're in um, the. This is the final ch- uh, sermon in our series on the book of Romans, uh, just chapters one through four. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been an incredible journey, uh, diving so deep into uh, this thing we call the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. This is the final one. Uh, at least we'll come back to Romans next year um, when we do chapters 5 through 8. Um, but until then, uh, let me pray as we start with chapter 4. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word uh, that it is true and good news. Um, thank you that it tells us about Jesus and how wonderful he is and what it means to believe and trust in him. Uh, Father, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you encourage us from this text um, and that you will uh, draw us into greater faith in your Son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, So if if you have just joined us um, in this series on the book of Romans, we're coming to the end. And uh, if there's one thing I guess I've hoped for for our community out of Romans is that we would come to realize that the gospel of Jesus is far more glorious than we can imagine. Uh, It is a light that exposes to us uh, the dominant story of our lives from birth by nature that we are deeply sinful, rebellious against our Creator, separated from His blessing, heading for eternal condemnation. That is our natural inclination from the moment we are born. Uh, But now we have been given a new and better story. Isn't that right? A story of undeserving grace and mercy, a story with Jesus as our great hero and who freely gives us righteousness, justification, forgiveness from sins, redemption, a new story, a new identity, a new life. The gospel, as we have seen so far, is glorious and it's also good news. It's good news for us. And yet, It's not good news necessarily for everyone. What do I mean by that? I mean that uh, for many people, it might come and hear the gospel or read the Bible, and it's just words on the page. They might intellectually, with their mind, kind of understand it. But being a Christian is more than just understanding it with your mind, but believing it with your heart. The gospel can't be something that you just understand as a concept, but it's something you have to adopt as a creed as a way of life, as a, as a foundation for your very being. And that's the only way it can, this can go from being words on a page to being good news for you and for me. The Christian journey starts with a step of faith. It starts by coming to God with empty hands saying, I need you to help me, to save me. I, I trust you with my life. It starts with faith, but it's also a journey that continues with faith. Uh, Every step we take is an act of trust that God has a plan, a purpose, and a future for us. That is, we are called to live by faith. Now, I think that's a phrase that uh, often gets misunderstood. What does it mean to live by faith? Is it simply a choice to believe in the existence of God? Or is it blindly believing in something without real evidence or proof? Or is faith some sort of magical substance that some people have and some people don't have? You know, I've often had people say, you know, I wish I had faith or I wish I had your faith. Is that what it is? It's something that some people who are kind of good enough or spiritual enough have, but others 
can't have or can't reach? Well, our passage today gives us answers to some of these questions and resources for how to live by faith. And uh, I've got four things about faith I'd like to share with you today. Uh, That is the facts of faith, the faltering of faith, the flourishing of faith, and the foundation of faith. And yes, I was very pleased with that effort. Yeah? Yeah. The facts, the faltering, the flourishing, and the foundation. I'm making it hard for myself as well. Okay, let's, let's jump in with number one, the facts of faith. Well, um, it's important probably just to recap a little bit from last week. Um, what has Paul, the writer of this letter, been trying to tell us? He's been trying to say that the only way to be made right before God is by faith in Jesus, to trust in him, not by anything you can do or your good works. And that faith itself is not a work, but a gift from God. It's something that God gives us. He plants in us a seed of faith. It's not something we can manufacture. And finally, faith and righteousness are gifts available to anyone who asks for them. Now Paul is continuing here and he's going to explain just what faith looks like. And so far in this chapter, he's been using Abraham as an example. Okay, Abraham is the, from the Old Testament, the great father of the Israelite nation and known as a father, an example of faith. Now, according to Paul, um, based on Abraham, faith always involves three things. Okay, they'll be up on the screen as we go. Number one. It involves trusting in who God is. Uh, A.W. Tozer once wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, our view of God will impact everything that we do it has massive implications for us. in fact even if you don't believe in god that's in itself is something that have massive implications for your life so what did abraham think about god well verse 17 tells us that he believed in the god who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not so abraham his faith rested on what God had revealed to him about himself. That he, was the, he is the creator of all things, this world, this universe. And that he is the one who has the power over life and over death. And this is why Abraham's faith was so respected by the biblical writers later on, like Paul. Uh, because he actually didn't have all that much to go on. <laughs> God hadn't revealed to him all that much other than that he is the creator of the universe and he has power over life and death. And that was enough for Abraham to respond to God's call to to move his whole family from his homeland into a land he didn't know just because God told him. But it was based on what God had revealed about himself. And this is the first thing we learn, that that faith um, comes from a deep trust in who God is. And the great news is that we actually have far better, uh, to get more to go on than Abraham ever did. Do you know that? Because uh, the Bible reveals to us the whole story. Everything we need to know about God is written in these pages. 
So we get far more than Abraham ever dreamed of. You could spend your whole life going through this book and learning about the character of God, who he is, his, his, the essence of his being, what he's like. You can get to know him. And you come up with a thousand statements that are true about who God is. I'm just going to share with you four, which I think sum up things really well. Number one, God is great. Psalm 145, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Number two, God is glorious. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? God is good. Psalm 100, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And God is gracious, Psalm 86. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is great. God is glorious. God is good. God is gracious. And each one of these characteristics is like a deep well. The further you plunge your bucket down, deeper and deeper and deeper, the more pure and clear and tasty and satisfying the water you will draw out is. Oh, but some will say to me, well, that's all very well, Pete. Good, that's well, well and good, but that's so abstract. I mean, God is so other, so different. He seems so far off. Like, how can I grasp that? And that's a good point, isn't it? Like, how can you, how can us finite people understand the infinite? How can we uh, grasp the ungraspable? How can we search the unsearchable? Well, God knew this, and he acted, actually, to do something about it. Because when Jesus came, he said, if you really know me, you will know the Father as well. So to know Jesus, to know him as the perfect image of God, the epitome of God's greatness, glory, goodness, and grace wrapped up in a human being, that is to know God. And Jesus, as a man, as a human being, he's relatable, he's understandable, he's knowable. And he is God, so you can know God by knowing Jesus. So faith starts with trusting in who God is. Second, the second step is trusting in what God has promised. Verse 21, Paul says that Abraham was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. God always promises what is good because he is good. And he always comes through on his promise because he is faithful. And God's promise to Abraham was that in their old age, almost 100, uh, and Abraham says about his own self, I'm as good as dead, so pretty old. Uh, he promises Abraham that he would have a son. He and his wife, Sarah, would have a son, a miracle. And, and Abraham responded by believing him. He believed the promise, uh, not just because God had told him some things, but he had shown him some things. God had shown him some, uh, had a supernatural encounter of power and majesty that made him, Abraham, believe that this was the creator speaking to him. And so you can imagine his thought processes. Well, if this God made all this, he made the stars, the earth, he made myself, he is the one who has power and is king over everything. 
and he is the ruler of life and death. So therefore, surely he can give us a son in his old age. See, that's actually quite logical, right? So Abraham's faith wasn't blind. It wasn't just kind of going, uh, I'm just going to believe this because it's wishful thinking. He actually had some evidence to base it on. I think Christian faith is of the same sort as Abraham's faith. It's believing in the promises of God based on the evidence of who he is and what he has done. And again, we have so much more to go on than Abraham did. The, the New Testament writers were so, um, had such faith, such trust in God's promises and who God is and what he'd done that they were willing to pr- give their whole life to preaching the gospel. And in fact, most of them went to their death as a result. They gave their lives for the sake of Christ because they believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead. The ultimate show of God's power, the proof of Jesus and his um, godship, his sonship, his kingship was he, they raised Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that uh, historical event, God promises something for us that is even greater than what he promised Abraham. Ephesians says that God has promised us every spiritual blessing. That through being united with Jesus, getting to know him, forming a relationship with him, we receive all the benefits of God's greatness, his glory, his goodness, and his grace. As Tim Chester puts it, because God is great, we don't have to be in control all the time. We can let go. Because it's glorious, uh, we don't have to be afraid of anything because he's the king. Because God is good, we don't have to look anywhere else to find our satisfaction and our fulfillment. And because God is gracious, we don't have to prove ourselves or measure up anymore. But there's more to the promise. You know, We have access to every spiritual blessing, joy and peace and hope of the gospel in this life. But God promises more than that. He promises every physical blessing as well in the next life. The Christian hope long-term is not sitting on clouds with harps as some sort of ghost-like beings. It's real bodies in a real earth, but an earth that has been renewed and restored and made to be a paradise it was always meant to be, where sin and death and curse and sickness is gone forever. The Bible says all these promises find their yes in Jesus because he is risen as King and Lord and Savior of this world and the next. So faith is believing in who God is, trusting in his promises. And one more thing, faith is trusting God in all of this despite feelings and circumstances. This is the nature of faith. Um, uh, Let's look at verse 19 and 20. Uh, Without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. See what's happening here? It means that faith doesn't mean denying the realities of life. It's not kind of walking around with your head in your clouds and your fingers in your ears going, no, 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 everything's okay, everything's okay, everything's okay. No, faith is 
confronting the realities that life does not work the way it should. In fact, faith shines brightest in the middle of suffering, brokenness, addiction, disappointment, failure, conflict, and loss. That's where faith shines like a jewel amongst a garden of weeds. And notice that Abraham didn't pretend he and Sarah were kind of sprightly 20-somethings. No, he, he knew that they were on the final stretch, that death wasn't that far away. And yet, in the midst of it all, he was able to trust God, even though he actually thought the whole thing was crazy. So faith is not trusting when it's easy to trust. Faith is trusting even when feelings and circumstances seem utterly against you. Okay, so those are the facts. of That's what faith is. This is believing in God, trusting his promises, despite feelings and circumstances. But we falter. I don't know any believer who feels like a faith hero. And I know some people I would think of as faith heroes, and they would not think of themselves like that. Um, the truth is that we all struggle with unbelief. Even us who call ourselves believers are sometimes unbelievers. Uh, and this happens in two ways. Faith falters, first of all, when we don't believe that God will actually come through on his promises. If we believe that God isn't really that great, then I won't believe that he can actually help me with my hardships. If I believe that God isn't really that glorious, then I won't believe he can protect me and I'll be full of anxiety and fear. If I don't believe that God is really good, then I won't believe that what he offers will really truly satisfy me. And so I'll look elsewhere. And if I don't really believe that God is gracious, then I'll have to work to the bone to measure up and feel right in myself. So faith falters when we lose trust that God is who he is and does what he says. But faith falters in another way. It falters when we believe that God will come through on things he hasn't actually promised. I was talking to a pastor friend recently. We were just catching up on the phone. Uh, and he confessed to me a bit about how he'd fallen into this trap. He said, Pete, I've done all the right things. I've preached faithfully, I've led people on mission, um, I've, you know, I've kept myself from all the classic sins that leaders often fall into. I've, I've done all the right things. So why hasn't God grown my church? You see what happened? He'd begun to believe that God had promised him something that he hadn't actually promised him. That if he worked hard enough, was righteous enough, was a good enough leader, that God would bless his church, that he would, they would grow in, in number particularly. It was a good conversation. We began to share of each other, and I confess that I've believed exactly the same thing. <laughs> Wondered myself, why doesn't God give me the things that I want? Surely I've been good enough. We were able to confess and repent together, and it was quite wonderful. But I wonder if you've ever fallen into that trap too. Have you put promises in God's mouth? And it's dangerous because when God doesn't come through for us on these things that we wish he would come through for us, we go, aha, see, God's not good. He's not faithful. He doesn't really love me because he hasn't given me these things. But here's the thing. He hasn't betrayed you. 
He hasn't not come through for you. He, he may not give you some things in this life, yes, but you know what? He's given you himself, something far better, something far more lasting, something far more satisfying. He has promised you a new identity, meaning and purpose that will last you through the worst suffering, the worst disappointments, the worst tragedies. He's given you direct access to himself, the God who is peace, hope, joy, and love. And he's promised to never let you go, to love you to the bitter end. So much so he gave himself for you. And he's promised us something else. He's promised that when we persevere in faith through times of testing, when we feel brokenhearted and lost and downtrodden, he has promised that those times of testing will strengthen our faith and help it to flourish. I generally don't feel like a, a hero of faith. I feel like my faith falters more than it flourishes. And so often my prayers take the shape of that father who brought his son to Jesus to, to ask him to heal him. And he said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Isn't that interesting? We can be believers and yet unbelievers at the same time. We all falter and fail to live up to be the kind of people of faith that God wants. And yet God still wants us to be people of faith. He doesn't give us a way out. He says, still be faithful. How is that possible? Well, an unexpected comfort is to be found in the story of Abraham. And the quick reading of Genesis shows that actually Abraham did waver in faith. He wavered big time. Not once but twice did he lie to a local ruler that his wife was actually his sister and put her in great jeopardy because she got taken out to be in someone's harem. When God said to him, Abraham, I'll give you a son, the next chapter shows Abraham laughing at God, ridiculing, ridiculing God. That's ridiculous. And Sarah does the same thing a chapter after that. Abraham was no perfect, uh, faithful person who got it right every time. No, Abraham faltered. Abraham often failed. And yet Paul says here that Abraham didn't falter and was in fact strengthened. What's going on? Well, here's what I think is going on. I think Paul knew the story of Abraham better than most. And what he means is that Abraham's faith survived even through his own failure. More than that, it flourished. It was strengthened. Last year, I gave a go at um, growing tomato plants for the first time. and I learned a lot about tomato growing. Um, and one of the things that you have to do with tomato plants is you have to plant the tiny little seed indoors in a tray of um, seed-raising mix, and the little plant grows up until it's big enough to be put into a little pot. And then what you do is you have to put the pot outside just for a few hours each day, and then more and more and more. Why? Because if you don't do that, and it's very tempting not to do that, um, it won't grow strong. Why? Because the actual the elements, the wind and the rain, beating up against that little vulnerable little tomato plant actually strengthens the stem. It helps it to grow strong bit by bit so that eventually it can survive and flourish and grow and bear fruit. 
And if you don't do that, just keep it indoors, it won't. I wonder if faith works the same way. I wonder if God allows his people to experience the harshness of the elements, even to falter sometimes in unbelief, even completely fail, even completely fall down into the pit, so that when we come back to him, we are strengthened. We are able to experience his grace and his mercy. We actually get to go back and experience who he is all over again. And if we move, persevere through that, then our faith becomes stronger than it was before. But in all this, I think God is also the great gardener. Isaiah says that he doesn't bruise a broken reed. He will never let anything happen to us to completely uproot or completely break us, but out of his great love, he will allow us to be stressed and to be tested so that we, so that the seed of faith planted in us can sprout and can grow and can mature and can bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So faith flourishes through times of testing, but only it has, but only, I should say, if it has also deep roots in a solid foundation. So my final thing I want to say about faith is it has to has have a foundation. Um, among the most famous examples of faith, I think in the last 100 years, was that of Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, she was a woman who lived in, the, uh, was still alive, I think, uh, last century. And she and her husband Jim were missionaries. And they felt like God was calling them to go into the Amazon rainforest in South America uh, to reach the uh, the tribes, the local native people there, and to bring with them uh, the gospel. And they, um, they met a tribe and things seemed to be going well and then suddenly uh, something changed and Jim and four of his friends uh, were speared to death by the very people they were trying to reach. Now Elizabeth um, and her little 10-month-old baby survived, they were back at camp. And you would think that she would have every reason to be crushed every reason to be destroyed by such a loss. But actually, a few years later, she went back to the very same people, offered friendship, and this time it was accepted. What incredible faith. She later wrote many books about her experiences and her hardship. In a book um, called Keep a Quiet Heart, she gets to the essence of how she was able to do this. She says, the secret... (laughs) is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. How often have we thought, if I would be okay, if only I was taken out of this pain, out of this hardship, out of this disappointment. And yet Elizabeth Elliot, who had far more reason than most of us, I think, to lose faith, said, no, the secret is not me somewhere else. The secret is who lives in me. This is what she means. True faith is begun and grown in increasingly trusting that in every way that we have faltered and failed, Christ has succeeded on our behalf. Jesus is the most faithful one. In his life, he never once faltered. He never once failed. He trusted his father 
perfectly. He resisted temptation completely. He took suffering, shame, poverty and pain without flinching. He stood the course to the very end. And Paul finishes the section of Romans with these words. God will credit righteousness, that is, God will make us right before himself, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So to have faith in God, family, means to have faith in Christ. To have faith in Christ means to have faith in his faithfulness. That because Christ was willing to allow himself to be delivered to death for our sins and because he was raised to life to finish the work of making us right before God, Jesus has become the ground on which we stand. And God's will is for Christ to be our greatest treasure, our deepest love and our most desperate desire. So much so that when our faith comes under testing and should even we experience terrible things, we can say with the words of faith, Christ is enough. Those words will not come easily. It will not be without tears and heartache. But with those words will come a deep and abiding sense that it is true and that it will get you through. Our faith is in the faithfulness of Christ. Not in our faithfulness, not in our ability to be faithful. To No, we fail, we falter. But the one we trust in is the one who never did all the way to the end. We are each called to be a person of faith. But remember this, we are also a family of faith. Faith is not a journey travelled alone. It cannot be. It is a journey travelled with travelling companions, friends to go along the way with you, so that one, when one may be weak, another should be strong. When one needs to be reminded of what is true, another person is there with words of truth. When one needs to be, uh, when one falters, another is there to pick them up. So if you're low on faith, ask for someone to help. If you're strong in faith, look for someone who needs encouraging. And if you do not yet have faith, if you feel like, actually, it's not something I have yet. I'm, I haven't yet come to put my trust in God and his promises and in Jesus, the faithful one. And the promise of God is this. It only takes a mustard seed side of, uh, size of faith. That much. That's what God gives us when we ask him. That much faith. To trust in him. And Jesus said, that's enough to, that's that kind of power that comes with that faith is enough to move mountains. Probably not literally, but it's enough to change hearts, which is far harder. To ask God for faith and he will gladly give it to you and come on a journey, even with us here at Inner West, come on a journey with faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are a faithful God, that you have always come through in your promises, and that you've come through despite the unfaithfulness of your people.
that often we have forgotten about you, we've rejected you. So often we've uh, not believed in your promises that you would come through for us. And sometimes even we've believed in things that aren't actually true. Oh Lord, I've done both of those things so deeply. Forgive me and forgive us. Lord, help us to be a people of faith. Help us to be a kind of people of faith that um, become so well known in our communities that people who feel lost come to us to ask, where do you get this kind of assurance? Where do you get this kind of strength against anxiety and fear? Where do you get this kind of hope? So that we can say, we get it from Jesus, the one who is all those things and more, and who promises to give them to us through faith in him. Father, may we be those, that sort of person and that sort of community, that sort of church. Amen.